Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times best-selling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Welcome to another edition of Insight Live with myself and Brendan Kay from Master Talk. Brendan is coming back from a epic event, Funnel Hacking with Russell Brunson. And so I asked him about the event and one of the things he shared was how powerful his experience with Tony Robbins was because Tony Robbins spoke at the event. So it got us thinking about this topic of what it takes to put yourself into a category of one and why that's such an important thing to do when you're thinking about making your mark, leaving your legacy and doing something that really matters. If you want to be a world changer, then really it starts with you understanding what it takes to really put yourself in that kind of status in, in a category of one. That's really impressive. So what does it mean to you, Brendan, as you think about that concept? And then how do you think, for example, Tony Robbins has put himself into a category of one? Absolutely, Billy. And there's so many great takeaways from Funnel Hacking Live. But I would say the biggest one was definitely watching Tony Robbins in person. For those who don't know, Tony hasn't spoken at a live event in almost two years. Most of his workshops, most of his events were done virtually. And it was last weekend that he first spoke at a live event to over 2,000 people since the pandemic started. So it was a really powerful and emotional moment, not just for us, but also for the audience. And it was special for me because it's the first time I ever watched Tony in person. And going to the point about the category of one, I think what made Tony so impressive and the real question I asked myself when I was listening to Tony was not just what can I learn from him? But really, the bigger question of what does it actually take to be Tony Robbins? What amount of effort did he actually have to put in to get to that level to be a category of one where Tony isn't really comparable to any other speaker? That's how much he set himself apart. There's a lot of different things he said and nuances that he, he gave hints of that led to me being shocked that I was going through with my business partner, Vamsi. Let's go through a couple of them just to kick this conversation off. But the first thing he said is that he only slept four hours the night before the presentation. Number two, he was commenting on the fact that when he hosted an event in Australia, he started speaking at 8 p.m. and ended at 10 a.m. That implies, for people who are looking at the math, he spoke 14-hour strain. By the way, for those who don't know, Tony doesn't take breaks or bathroom breaks. So he literally goes 14 hours straight throughout the entire night. And number three, he did it with super high energy. The whole time, it didn't look like he was tired at all, despite his lack of sleep, despite his energy, 
And that's what really intimidated me about Tony Robbins is not just why he's so successful, but how he's so successful. Is this the level that he's willing to push even at the age of 62 wow. after doing this for 42 years? Okay, Most people can't stick to one thing for 42 seconds. This guy <laughs> has been doing the same damn thing for 42 years. So yes, I, I have met for the first time someone that I deem to be a much better speaker than I ever could be. And it was a, it was a good slap in the face that I need. <laughs> well, look, you know, there is only one Tony Robbins. And I remember, and I'm old enough to remember this, I remember when he was really getting started, when he would do infomercials on TV and his early days. And so clearly he has rocked the world when it comes to speaking, when it comes to inspiring, empowering. His events are legendary. He himself is legendary. He's larger than life. I've seen him in person. He's such a, just a force. And his, obviously his presence is felt in such a profound way. I've never seen anyone like him. And you've just shared that same sentiment that here's a guy who, yes, his physical presence is big, but he also has such a presence when it comes to the way in which he presents and the way in which he really hits people, almost slaps people in the face with the knowledge that he shares and the insights that he shares and the mindset tricks that he shares that, that we so need, right? Because ultimately what's between our ears is our most powerful piece of equipment by far. Nothing even comes close. It's the most powerful piece of equipment, period, of anything, of any kind. And, we, and it's so at this point, still in the infancy of being understood. And yet he, along with peers and, and others who have really studied what it takes to have the right mindset, the mindset of a champion, somebody that is going to do incredible things, he allows people to really harness the ability to maximize and leverage the power of your brain and maximize the, the power of what's capable inside of you. And so I'm curious, as you heard him and you really, it sounds like, had an incredible experience, what are some of the things that he shared or what are some of the reasons you think he puts himself into a category of one? Absolutely, Billy. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in the speech that he gave, and we could spend probably a whole other episode on that. But I'd say the biggest one is it really helps us understand what it actually takes to be a world changer. That was the biggest takeaway for me personally. And for those who would like the context on this, Tony has probably impacted around 30 million lives. That's what he advertises. And 30 million lives approximately is the people who have had the opportunity to see him live in person. So it's probably 30 million at the low end. High end is probably a lot more, maybe 50, 60 million. Let's put a number there. And I think what's fascinating about Tony Robbins, if I were to read his mind for a little bit, just for the sake of this conversation, is now, you know, he's getting older. He's around 62 years old. He can't speak on stages like he used to, even if he still has the same superpower that he did in, as he did in the past. But I think what Tony is thinking about now is how do I get into the bees? As in, how do I impact billions of lives instead of millions? And that's an interesting step for Tony that he's just starting to cross the chasm into, which is how do I get into the letter B before my life is over? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think that's so powerful for me anyways, is I'm currently in the thousand range. I've probably impacted probably a few th tens of thousands of lives based on the subscriber count that I have and based on the number of people who have attended my virtual events. 
So now what I'm learning from Tony is the sacrifice, the effort, the tenacity, the grit that it takes to transition from thousands of lives impacted to the millions that he has and how much grit I need to put in at this age so I can get to his level in 15, 20 years, maybe in 10 years instead of the 40 it took him so that I can spend the rest of my 40s, 50s, and 60s going after that billion-dollar life. Sorry, not billion-dollar, but billion number of lives impacted. So that was really the big takeaway is, is really how much he intimidated me about the, just the sheer work ethic mm. that he had with, with how he disseminated stuff. Another piece that's important to add is he was only contracted to speak for three hours. Guess how long he went for? I don't know. What, he six? Yeah, he actually did went for six. Exactly. He went for six hours straight when Russell told him to only speak for three. He just kept going because he just <laughs> wanted to keep over delivering. Yeah. He just kept going. He kept improvising stuff. And the other part that was interesting as well, that it, it, he didn't really mention it. It's kind of a side comment that Vomsi was sharing with. Vomsi was like a volunteer for Tony for that event because he did it a lot. He was like a mic runner for him. And what Vomsi was telling me was, uh, he's like, look over there. And I noticed there's like people um, like crouching down underneath the seats, like uh, behind the seats. And I was like, who's that? And he's like, oh, that's Tony's security. And I was like, what? Just security? And Vomsi's like, yeah, he's got a bunch of security who just follows him around when he speaks. And that was another thing that I realized from that crowd that was more unique to me. It was something I was paying attention to, which is, if you want to impact millions of lives, you need to live with the idea that a couple hundred thousand aren't actually going to like your guts, mm. right? So there's a cost to actually impacting more lives. Alex Hormozzi says, if you want to impact 10,000 lives, be prepared to know that 500 people will hate your guts for no reason other than you being successful. Mm. So it's, it's just a good reminder for all of us that there's a cost of impact. You know, I think a lot of us flaunt, including me. We go, oh yeah, I want to impact a lot of lives. I want to make a difference. But we, we need to spend more time reflecting on what is actually the cost. I mean, he's got security very tight all the time. He had like four guys on him the entire time. I was like, wow, super fascinating. So it was a good reminder for me and what it actually takes to get to his level. And I'm far from it. Like it's not, I'm not, I don't know even the same league as this guy. So I need to <laughs> get my, get my act together. Come on, man. What are you waiting for? Well, look, I mean, I, remember very clearly when I was working at the delivery hub for Tesla that when we caught wind that Elon may be showing up to the delivery hub we were at, he was preceded by a team of security, not just one, not just two, but several security. I mean, to say guards isn't doing it justice. These guys look like straight up secret service and super legit he actually didn't even end up coming at that point. He came another time, but he has people that are going to places before he goes there to scope it out, to check it out. Because to your point, even though he's revered and he's loved, there's a lot of haters out there, a lot of trolls, a lot of people that don't like to see someone else reach unbelievable heights and levels of success. And so you got to be careful. And I think that's a really interesting thought. You know, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day. It's like, I'm not gonna get political here, but no matter what your political belief, there is 30, 40, 50% of people who disagree with you, passionately disagree with you. So we don't all think the same. We don't all have the same beliefs and, and that's okay. And I think as we've talked about on this very program, being a bit controversial being able to have a point of view and to say what you mean and what you feel is fundamental to 
being a leader within any space that you're in. If you want to be a leader, you have to stand for something. You have to. You can't be vanilla. You can't just toe the the line to try and please everybody. I think innately, a lot of us try to be a people pleaser. We're trying to say the right thing to everybody that we meet, say what we think they want to hear. But in reality, we should say what we believe and we should say it with conviction and with passion. Okay, so six hours is a long time. Give us a bit of a overview of some of the most important things that, that you took from him. And then we'll get to the rest of the event because we're going to talk about what it takes to be in a category one. Feel free to consult your notes because I know I'm asking a lot of you to kind of like, okay, just take this presentation that you got and give us all the gold from it. And I'll be honest, man, it was a long one. <laughs> so I definitely have a lot of notes here. But I would say the biggest ones that came out for me personally, besides the whole what it actually takes to be Tony, if I can measure him up to him or not, is the idea that you need to be always doing two things in your business. You need to be managing the business you're in and managing the business you're becoming. So what he means by that is you want to focus on what you're doing in your day-to-day, but you also want to be managing the business you have later. That was interesting. The other piece as well that I really liked, the power of marketing. So there's a great story that Tony Robbins told in his speech. For those who don't know, Steve Wynn is the founder of a company called Wynn Resorts. He owns some of the biggest casinos in the world. And Tony's a good friend of his. So he went to China and fun fact, Chinese people in China actually spend five times more money in casinos than Americans do. Just side note, fun fact. So anyway, so Tony flies out to Steve's event and Tony asks him a very interesting question. He goes, Steve, where does 80% of your revenue come from? I'm sure everyone knows the 80-20 principle. I'll just repeat it again. 80% of your revenue generally comes from 20% of your customers. So Tony's question to Steve is, what's 80% of your profits coming from? And Steve said, oh, it's a great question, Tony. The answer is we make all of our money off 50,000 people in the world who spend millions of dollars and who lose millions of dollars in a game called backgammon or something like that, backrack or something like that. So he comes to the casino, shows up, and he sees a bunch of people who are playing. And some guy lost $10 million in 13 minutes, literally. $10 million in 13 minutes. And when Tony heard the story, he was like, crap, good thing I'm not owning a casino or else I would just give him the money back. And the craziest part is after the guy loses $10 million, he turns around, he notices Tony Robbins, and he goes, oh my God, can I take a picture? And Tony Robbins goes, of course. So the guy approaches Tony and gives him the phone. And Tony didn't understand until they got it a few seconds later that the guy who was sitting at a table didn't actually want a picture with Tony Robbins. He wanted a picture with Steve Wynn. And then Tony Robbins looked at the crowd and he said, that's what marketing is. A guy who lost $10 million, but it was the best day of his life because he got to take a picture with his favorite person in the world, Steve Wynn, who made him lose all the money in the first place. (laughs) Crazy. That's hilarious. I love it. Absolutely nuts. Oh, God. And I really appreciate this idea of the business part too. It's the business that you're, you currently have and the and what you're going to be because change is happening. Mm. Like it is happening. I don't care what business you're in. You have to be able to navigate change and the more dynamic you are as a leader and as a business, the more likely you are to survive. When I interviewed Chris Doe, one of the questions I had was how did you survive 
as long as you have as an agency. He's got one of the longest running agencies in Los Angeles. When most agencies couldn't adapt to the changes, they failed. He was able to not be attached to what was or what is. And that right there is the reason why he was willing to go in different directions. We get so hardwired to stay in our comfort zone and keep doing what we're used to. And we're intimidated or afraid to do something different, even when that something different is what we should be doing. So great call out there. And I think that's a really astute observation that he made to be successful as a business owner. So what else? I think another big piece that came to mind, Billy, as we're having this conversation, this is probably the biggest takeaway I got from Tony besides the whole, can I measure up to him someday, is the idea that information without emotion is barely retained. Mm. So one thing that I noticed in Tony's speaking style is he wouldn't just share an information. He would literally say, he would, he would say things like, say yes. And then people would go, yes, say yes, yes, make a move. He would literally say, make a move. And then you have to like punch something. <laughs> and then he would go like, turn to the next. <laughs> I don't know why he did this actually. He would say, turn to the person next to you. Now, Bob was the guy next to me. He's my business partner. And he would literally go and tell that person that you own them. And I would literally look at Bob and go, I own you. <laughs> That's amazing. And he would say the same thing. And it would be like this competition. And then there would be like this big dance party. But what's basically interesting about the way Tony speaks, and that was a good lesson for us in our free trainings and our coaching, is how do we implement more emotion into the information that we teach? How do we make people feel something rather than just spewing really good practical insights about a subject matter? And I think Tony is the absolute superstar because when people leave the event, to Vamsi's point, they're going to tell 25 other people about how amazing Tony Robbins was. Mm. And that in of itself is the ultimate marketing engine that costs them nothing. Or you're going to do a live and you're going to talk to hundreds, if not thousands of people that turns into a podcast and reaches a few thousand, if not 10 to 20,000 people. So let me ask you this though. Okay. I totally get that emotion piece and I've seen him speak what does he do? Or maybe what does he advise? Was he just modeling that? Or did he actually say that, that the emotion is what's important? And then did he give any suggestions? Because you look at Tony and it's intimidating, right? Like he's a force of nature, his voice, his physical presence, like all of these things that like, you could argue these are God, quote unquote, God given gifts. But the fact is, is he's using them. And other people can can also tap into the emotion. And I don't want anybody to think that just because you're not him, that you can't do it. So what either suggestions do you have or what suggestions did, did he give to do what you've just suggested? Absolutely. So he didn't really give that many suggestions, but he did say information without emotion is barely retained. But in terms of suggestions, I basically just watched him speak. I watched him do the NLP. I watched him do the interventions. I watched him do everything A to Z. And it was through that, that just watching what he does that I was able to dissect a lot of the things that he was doing. So one of those things is using energy and competition as a way to get people more fired up. Mm. So for example, instead of just saying, tell the other person I own you, show the other person that you have more energy than they ever could mm. muster. So it would irritate people in the room and be like, no, I got more energy than Billy does. Let me show you. And then, so people would get really loud, really fast. 
And then after it, you would turn it into this big, and then the bunch of music was would be playing. But the other point, and I'm sure you did this well at Tesla too, you probably just took it to a whole other nth degree, is he's got AD, AV people in the back who are literally playing the right tunes at the right moment. And there's like colors and circles mm-hmm. that come up on the screen whenever he wants to do a specific dance or emotion. But I think to keep this super simple for people, and this is how me and Vamsi are going to translate this, is simply adding music and being very selective about what music soundtracks we pick for specific moments of our presentation. That's one easy thing. The second thing that you can do, especially if you're doing a live event, is getting people to talk to each other more. Mm -hmm. Turn to the person at the right of you and answer this question. That's the second thing that you can do. And then the third thing that you can do is make exercises more interactive. So one thing we, were, we would do if we were hosting a live event now is we would tell people to come in front of the stage and to speak something, to share a story, to do something important. So those are some ideas that I mustered from Tony at, at like a 1% level of what he actually does. If anyone who knows me from my Tesla days or Solar City days were watching and they've been to my trainings, they would be laughing right now because they know just how important music is. I mean, to say it's important is putting it lightly. In a lot of cases, it was my main focus to make sure the music was on point because it's emotive. It emotionally connects to everyone. And when you select the right music for the right time, it completely changes the entire mood and atmosphere and feeling that you get. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think that's a really, really great observation And I'm not surprised that he effectively uses music. I saw some of the clips that you shared and definitely I saw a lot of energy created because of music, because of standing, because of moving. Movement creates emotion. So movement, obviously you talked about interaction and then of course using things like music to help to enhance the overall mood. And this obviously plays into so many things that we could do, whether we do a live event or whether we do virtual trainings or anything to help get you in the right state of mind. I mean, you could even meditate and get the emotion of the meditation through music and get into the right mindset. So, okay, so I don't want to leave any juice left in that orange. What else from a Tony perspective? And then we'll move into the rest of the event before we close this one down. There's a bunch of stuff that we can get from Tony. But I would say another piece around Tony is how to build a brand, right? How to identify what your unique selling point is. Why should people buy from you? What's so special about what you offer and who you are? And one thing he said, and a question he asked, he's like, who knew who I was before this event? Almost everybody raised their hand. Almost everyone. And he looked at the audience and he said, that wasn't by accident. That's trust that I built over 42 years of doing the same thing. And when he said that, it really struck me like a lightning bolt and made me realize why Tony is such a powerful personal brand. And he made us do an exercise and it was like 60 to 90 seconds. And the exercise was basically write down why people should buy from you versus somebody else. Why should somebody pick you? And he picked out a few people in the audience to explain that. And he went through all of those individuals and gave them feedback. So it gave me an opportunity to write my own USP as well as to why people would buy from me. And it was a great exercise. But I think just understanding that brands are built over decades rather than days was a super powerful takeaway that I got from Tony as well. It goes back to what we've talked about in the past too, right? And I think, you know, thinking decades, not days, 
And then a brand is a powerful thing. And it's also something that I think we need to be really mindful of maintaining our brand. So the decisions we make, the interactions we have, much like a leader is based on decisions and interactions, the same thing with the brand, right? Every decision you make will be observed, will be something that people will judge you by. And the interactions that you have with people will also be what people judge you by. In the same way, if you're in corporate America or if you're an entrepreneur, remember that everyone who is in your organization is looking at you and they're looking at you and what you do, what you say, how you interact and how you make decisions. And so I think your brand is a reflection of those things. What is it that keeps us from visioning what we can be? So I'm curious, Brendan, if you have an answer to that. What, what are the things that, that block us from having a vision of what we're capable of? Hmm, great question. So there's a lot of things that I find block us from getting to that next state or that next level. So I would say for me, the biggest blocker by far is not being specific enough about what that vision is. So most of us say something along the lines of, I want to be a coach. I want to be an influencer. I want to impact lives. I want to make a difference. But in what way do you want to do that? What's the vehicle? What are we actually doing? What does that impact actually look like on a granular perspective? I think specificity is key to action taking. If you're not specific on what your goals are, if you're not specific on what the vision is, and you're not granular enough, it's very difficult to take action. And that's why when I was talking to people at Funnel Hacking, it was very obvious the difference between the people who are absolutely action takers, which was most of them, surprisingly, versus the people who, you know, said, you know, my key takeaway is this event was great. I met a lot of friendships, made a lot of friends, can't wait for next year, versus these are the three things I'm going to implement. One, two, three, I need this person, boom, I need this person for that, boom, this person for this. I'm interviewing Facebook ads people. Let's do this next. Mm. So the specificity of not just the tactics, but the religion, as in the overall strategy for our life, is what really separates the best from everyone else. And the reason why most people take action, don't take action, is there's a lack of specificity and there's a lack of urgency. So lack of specificity in terms of the granular vision, that's what the priority should be. And once that specificity is thought of, there's a lack of urgency. As in, I could do this tomorrow. I can live. I'm going to live another 50 more years. I don't need to do this right away. It's that execution speed that's not fast enough. Yeah, I love everything you just said. And I want to tap in and share a couple other things that I think are really, really important as we think about having a vision. And I love what Matt said. He says, everything you say, write, type, et cetera, will have an impact. I love that. And I totally agree with that. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is the power of visualization. If you look at any successful athlete, one of the things they do exceptionally well is envision what they're great at. Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, all of these guys, they are visualizing what good looks like. And they see it play out in their mind over and over and over again. You're a public speaker, Brendan, and I know as a public speaker, visualizing what it's like to be up on stage before you do it and actually see it happening beforehand makes it so much easier to deliver the speech that you're capable of delivering. 
And so I think in order for your vision, yeah, I think specificity is so important. When you visualize, get granular, get so specific that every minute detail, you can see it, you could touch it, you could smell it, you can feel it. And if I could encourage everyone who's listening or watching to practice visualization, because guess what? The more you do it, the better you'll get, the more you'll start to see things happen before they happen. And so you will attract things into your life the more you think about them. The more you see them happening, the more real they become. And and you can also start to chart a path that will be so much easier to follow when you can see it happening before it's happened. And so I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I just am such a believer in the power of visualization. To me, it's fundamental to being able to do whatever it is you want to do. And the the other piece that I'll share I think is really important is share your vision. Share it. When you share it with other people, not only does it make it more real, you now are committed to doing it because you've told so many people, because you've made it public, because you've said over and over and over again what it is you're doing. And because of that, and especially if you share it with others that you know, we'll give you feedback and we'll be honest with you and give you the honest nudge when you need it, you're going to be set up for success because having people like that in your life, this is one of the reasons Brinson and I get along so well, is we're not afraid to tell each other things that we need to hear. Not things that we want to hear, things that we need to hear. So love it, love it, love it. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about the rest of the event because I don't want to exclusively focus on Tony. Otherwise, I just call it the Tony Robbins show, although this has been gold. And if there's anything else that we that we absolutely must say, bring it up. But what else from the event? And let's let's try to keep it with under this umbrella, a category of one. Maybe talk a little bit more about why that's so important. And then talk a bit about what other things you learned from this event that would follow and fit into that theme. Right. And here's a good way of understanding this, especially from a business perspective, but really anything that we do in life, satisfied customers aren't good enough. Satisfied followers aren't good enough. Satisfied anything is not good enough. If your customers, if the people that follow you, if the people that care about your work are not raving fans, they will never do repeat business with you again. And that's what I think is the biggest example of what it means to be a category one is your business, your movement, your mission is so unique that people cannot go anywhere else for that thing or so obsessed with it that they always want to keep coming back. And I would say the event Funnel Hacking Live is a great example. The ticket was not so bad. It was like a thousand each to attend the event, but we got crazy value for that thousand. They bought us dinner one of the nights. I had a third row seat and I didn't even buy VIP because they let you earn the seat. You basically run in. It's a pretty different culture. The door is basically open. You run for the seat if you want a front row seat. And I was in third row, which is awesome. They gave us a bunch of swag. I got a backpack. I got a long sleeve t-shirt. I got a bunch of stuff. But the other piece is Funnel Hacking Live is kind of like the Super Bowl of digital marketers. John Lee Dumas was there, Pedro Adeo, the guy who's like the category king of challenges and how to run challenges. He runs challenges for everybody. Lewis Howes, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, like literally everybody. There was, who else was there? JLD was there. 
Pedro Adeo was there. Eileen Wilder was there. Dan Henry was there. Pan June was there. And the biggest difference between this event and everything else is this is the event where everyone get comes to. So because all of the big names come here, you pretty much get to talk to everyone. I remember I was, it was a Monday night. I was at a bar. And the guy next to me was Dan Henry. The guy literally does, did like $25 million in sales in his online business. Didn't know who the guy was. So somebody told me. And Penn June, who's done multiple eight figures in his business, and he was just there drink, drinking with somebody. Did I was like, oh my God, that's Penn June. I like saw him in a Facebook ad. And there was another guy. I'm kind of like a little fangirling a little bit. There's another guy named Alric. He's, he does this YouTube ads agency thing. His ads are everywhere. Like if you've seen his face, you'll know. He was there like in the flesh. I was like, oh my God, it's that dude. So I think the going back to being a category of one is what ClickFunnels and what Russell's community has done so well is they gamified the process of entrepreneurship. For those who don't know, the Two Comma Club Award, which is an award ceremony they have in day two of the conference, is for anyone who does a million dollars in any of their funnels. And what's interesting is everyone wants that award so badly that they literally switch softwares. They used to use Kajabi or Kartra. They literally switch softwares, and we're planning on doing the same thing, just to get that award, just for that status symbol, because they want to be a part of that club so badly. So those are just some little things, being the Super Bowl, bringing the best speakers. You know, Anthony Trucks was there. Trent Shelton was there. A lot of the big names were there, too. That piece, the award ceremony, the free dinners, the cool people who attend the event. I met the world champion of rodeo there that we're good friends with. That was pretty crazy. Suffice to say, category of one doesn't just apply in the context of Tony Robbins. It applies in the context of every little detail that you have in your business, your movement to your mission. And the more of those details that you get right, the easier it is for you to attract raving fans that will really explode your movement in your business. Mm, okay, so let me ask you this. Where does having a competitive moat play into being a category of one? Because, I mean, let's poke holes in this a little bit. You know, we think category of one. I mean, there are other speakers, Tony Robbins. What, what makes him into, into category of one? And then others, what puts them in a category of one? Like, how do we define it? Here's the way I think about it. I think competitive moats is in one word, stacking small leads above somebody else. So I'll give an example. Kobe Bryant wasn't 10 times better than the next NBA player. He, he wasn't. But because of the 0.1 differences that he kept working on, those little extra shots, those little extra dribbles that accumulates over many, many years, the gap between him and the next player in a league widens tremendously. Michael Phelps said something similar. He's one of the best swimmer Olympians of all time, you know, swimming, like the sport of swimming. And he said in the four years that he trained for the Olympics, he never missed a single day in the swimming pool. Like not even a day. Like even on Christmas, even New Year's, he hasn't missed a single day. So it's those little incremental improvements over time that creates a competitive mode. So I don't think it's that Tony Robbins is just, I think he's 10 times better than the next person. But I think it's more about the little things that you do every day, the and, not the or, but and he does this, and he does this, and he does this, that creates that consistent gap that eventually becomes a competitive mode. So that's the way I see it. So let's use Tony as an example really quickly. It's not that just the fact that he speaks so many times, he's done the same presentation thousands of times. He's done the same event for 42 years. 
He's practiced giving speaking engagements 14 hours straight during the night. He did an event called Date with Destiny, which is literally five days straight of Tony, 16 hours a day. I don't know, a single other speaker has done 80 hours of speaking in one event, and he literally just sleeps, wakes up, speaks again. And who does live interventions where he literally transforms people's lives. Day three, while he's tired, he's spoken for 54 hours, and he's still helping someone who wants to commit suicide to not commit suicide and saves their life while he's doing that. So it's not the fact that there's one single thing that differentiates Tony. It's the accumulation of all of those little things, like the accumulation of funnel hacking live that creates an experience that is just 10 or 100 times better than the next thing, not because of one single thing, but of a multitude of small different things. So what other companies or people do you think would be worth exploring under this umbrella of category of one? I'm going to put the old brain to the test here, Brendan, because you're always good at thinking on your feet. So I'm going to challenge you and say, okay, that makes sense, right? Like if you add up all of these areas that he is able to get to a level that is better than other people, and it's the combination of all those things. It's not one single thing, just like it's a combination of things that happen at the event. And so there are other people throughout history and living today and throughout all of time who've done things similar to put them in another league. Literally, there's only like, there's only one, right? There's only one of this type of person. Who else would you say fits that bill? Right. I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, a bunch of people come to mind. Seth Godin. Sure. He didn't just write one book. He wrote 18 of them that were all bestsellers. He didn't just write one blog post. He's been writing a blog post every single day since the early 90s. So he hasn't missed, just so people understand this, he hasn't missed a day in almost 30 years. Not 30 days. 30 years. Most people can't even stay consistent for three days. This guy kept going for 30 years. So there's that. There's the uniqueness of his thought leadership, right? Purple cow, linchpin, permission marketing, all of these terms that he invented. And from his experience at Yahoo and what he did at Yo-Yo Dine that sold to Yahoo is around email marketing and how he revolutionized email. There's all of these little things. And now he's pushing thought leadership even more with this podcast akimbo where he's saying, okay, I, I mastered the blog medium. Now I'm going to throw myself into podcasting so I can learn how to do that too. So there's always this, these nuances that Seth is just willing to push a little bit more for a little bit longer than everyone else. And it leads to those exponential results that we see as well in the circuit. Another example I can give you as well is Brian Chesky. Airbnb wasn't that different than services that existed before, like HomeAway or VRBO. But it was the accumulation of those little things, right? It was the design of the website, the five-star ratings of the guest, the identity checks to make sure that everyone was real, everyone was authentic. The price checks was super easy to book. The refunding policy was super generous. Customer support was available 24-7. The way that the thought about Airbnb's experience from a design perspective rather than just a business one is really what made the platform stand out and allow them to scale a lot more and their services and being proactive about government regulations. The one thing that separated them, mm -hmm. it was the accumulation of small things over time that made the difference. I don't like doing two. I like doing three. So let's do one more. But along with this, what I want to do is... 
I really want to make this as real as possible for everyone that's tuning in right now on the live and everyone who's listening to the podcast. And that is, what can an individual do or what should we be thinking to do that, to be able to get better in each of those areas? Is it attention to details? Is it work ethic? Like, what are the building blocks to make that happen? Because the more we can empower anyone that's listening right now, the more we have those world changers, right? Every decade, I think you said every decade, there's 10,000 people who change the world. I don't know if it's every decade, but I want to play a role in helping as many of those people find their path. And through you, through guests that we have on this show, through experiences that we have and conversations where we learn and we, we exchange ideas. I wonder who's that third person or business that you want to bring up. And then along with that, let's make it as real as possible. What are some things that anyone can do to do incremental improvements and stack it so much that you do become and put yourself into a category of one? For sure, man. I think it's a great, great question and insight. So the third person, I mean, obviously, Gary Vaynerchuk is someone who is in a category of one as well, through the little things that he did over time. It wasn't just one video that came up and he was like, well, motivational Mondays. No, it was, it was the little pieces, DMing everyone on Twitter, replying to every comment, taking pictures with literally anyone who bothers him on the streets, even today. And now he's got his own VCon conference that he just released today. That is only available, and I think it's already sold out. Something crazy, but it's the point I want to drive. It's those little things over time that make the difference. But going back to the bigger question around how do we internalize this? How do we use this as information to make ourselves world changes? So there's a couple of things that stand out. Let's focus on three key ideas. Number one is focus on one thing is absolutely everything, especially at the beginning. If there's anything I've learned from world changes, sure, some of them give the illusion that they're working on many different things, like Gary Vee's got 18 or 25 different things going on. That's not actually true, in my opinion. He has teams managing those things. Right? He has built teams who are managing those initiatives. But if you truly want to be world-class at the beginning, you need to first figure out, number one, being very self-aware. Right, so let's go through the points in order. So number one is self-awareness. Understanding what you're really good at through a series of experiences relative to other human beings. Mm -hmm. Because the best way to serve the world is to do something that is truly unique or something that you have a significant edge over the rest of humanity. But the good news is you only need one thing. Like I only have one thing that I would consider myself I have an edge over. Everything else, sure, I might be a little bit better, but there's one thing that I have a very strong advantage on. You just got to figure and out I that. And I think part of that, and I don't want to disrupt your flow too much, but part of that is having people in your life that can help you understand your strengths. Because you may know, you may, but you may not know, or maybe you think one thing's your strength when there's actually something you're even stronger at. So I think bear that in mind. I think the more people you have in your orbit that can help you be self-aware, because self-awareness isn't a one-man sport. Self-awareness can take a team. Carry on. Oh, yeah. And, and to build on that on top of that, let me add like three layers on top of that, because I think it's so important what you just said, is you need to be a bit crazy to be truly self-aware. I think that's, that's a, a connection 
that we, we don't hear enough in, in the influencer space. So what do I mean by this? If you're trying to buy expensive shit for people that you're trying to impress that you don't really like, or you're trying to get married because people are telling you to do that, you're trying to get a job because people are telling you to do that, and you're just listening to what other people are saying, you're never actually going to be self-aware. Like being truly self-aware means, and I'll literally tell you what's on my mind, literally, is you might wake up and say, I just want to dance for 17 minutes and listen to some Justin Bieber. And then after I might take a meeting, but I don't want to go on vacation because ew, who wants to go on vacation? Like just a couple of days ago, my mom messaged me and said, you have to come to a wedding. It's your cousin, the only invited four families. And I was like, mom, I don't want to go to the wedding. I don't want to be there. And she said, yeah, you have to be there. And I was, just, so I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to say, you know, my cousin's getting married. I'm really excited about being there. But notice how I really don't care, right? That's really rude. But it's the point I want to drive. Happy married life to him. But it was the point I want to drive <laughs> is it's the kookiness, the craziness that allows you to actually be self-aware. So you need to break society rules so that you can jump into self-awareness. And then once you're in self-awareness, you can actually have an co honest conversation about with yourself about what you're actually good at and what you're not good at. Like my parents gave me that speech a long time ago too when I was 12 or 13. And they noticed I, was have, I had 80s in chemistry and physics and I had 90s in math. They said, you could be a doctor. And I said, no, I'm not going to be a doctor. I don't have the grades for this. I'm not going to be able to compete with people who are getting 97s in chemistry. And I didn't want to do that. But the reason I'm just speaking out loud is so people can internalize what this actually means to be self-aware. That's part one. Part two is once you have that true self-awareness and understand it's a lifetime journey, it's not something you just wake up and say, wow, I know what it is. I'm, so, I'm officially self-aware. I can get this certificate and pursue self-awareness. Like, no, that's not, it's not a course that you just take. It's a series of questions that you constantly ask yourself or to Billy's point, where you have a team that's asking yourself. And then in part two, you'll eventually figure out two or three things that you're dangerous at. Like you're absolutely dangerous mm. at, you're way better than most people are just in comparison to other people. And then what you want to do is you want to start tasting those three to five things, those two things, those seven things, whatever that number is. And then number three is you need to make a decision. If you want to be world-class, you need to pick one of those things and be absolutely world-class at that thing. And I'll explain why mathematically. There's a great book on this it's called The One Thing. And basically what the author of the book argues is you can either move one inch in 12 different directions or you can move 12 inches in one direction. But the point that I want to drive is if you decide to focus on two, three things, let's say you do swimming, you want to be a, an Olympian in swimming, let's say as an example, and you want to be a motivational speaker and you want to be a public speaking coach like me. Well, the problem is, with the same 16 hours a day you have of work, because let's assume you sleep eight, eight hours a day, you're spending five hours on each of those three things. Whereas me, I'm spending 16 hours on just one of those three things. So there's no way mathematically you could beat me in that thing. In the same way that if I did 16 hours a day of speech coaching, I could never be an Olympian or potentially not be one. So I think it's important for people to understand that if you really want to make an impact in the world, you need to really get good at only one category and absolutely dominate it. Because every single successful person I know that I've studied have all only mastered one category. Yeah, you can't divide yourself up. You can't be a one-eighth 
type of performer where you have eight different things come in your life and you become a fractional contributor to whatever it is you're doing. It's one thing if you're a fractional chief financial officer for three companies and each company's paying you to do that. And that's one whole thing, but you're doing one thing really well. It's a whole nother thing to do eight different things, not only because of task switching and having to constantly shift gears and just through change, you're losing momentum, doing one thing and then going into another thing. But also to your point, we only have so many hours that we can actually be productive. And if someone else is spending all of their productive allotment of hours, and some people might sleep less, right? So let's say somebody sleeps less than eight hours. You know, in Elon Musk, I'm, by the way, I'm not an advocate for this, but Elon Musk is famous for not sleeping as much as he should. And then you have people, of course, who, you know, Arianna Huffington and others who are big advocates for sleep. So let's just say that, you know, some people compromise sleep because they know that gives them an edge over somebody that doesn't. Again, I'm not condoning this and I don't agree with it. I'm just telling you that some people do that. But regardless, even if you do get a standard hour, you know, eight hours of sleep, which I think is pretty agreed that that's a, a good a number of hours of sleep, that only leaves you 16 hours in the day. And your, your point's so great that you start siphoning off some of those hours to do something else. Your ability to do what you want to do will be diminished. And if you want to be a world changer, if you want to be somebody that does truly change the world and impact enough lives that the world is different as a result of you being here, then you need to understand where and how you spend your time. So let's go to the last part of this journey. What didn't we discuss? What did we miss? Because I thought you brought up some really good points about self-awareness, about understanding what your strengths are, what's your superpower, and then picking one thing to focus on. What else will allow you to be in a category of one. We know it's a compilation of all the little things, not just one thing. And, and, and to make that distinction, you do one thing, but within that one thing, there's a lot of things that you do significantly better than other people. So I just want to make that clarification. But what did we miss? And give us a final word, and then we'll close the shop. The last word is, I feel the people who do best at focus, that video I sent you that I'll summarize right now, it's by a guy named Alex Hormozzi. Founded a company called Gym Launch, does $100 million in sales. Guy's 32 years old, has a net worth of tens of millions of dollars. Super successful, super genuine. Love his YouTube videos. And the video I sent to Billy earlier today, what Alex was explaining is the reason why most people don't hit very, very high levels of success and get to great, which he describes as maybe a few million dollars a year, is they get stuck with the, the red women in the dress. And I was like, what is that? And what he explains as the analogy is when you start making really good money, you start having success in that one area of expertise. Think of Simon Sinek when he was doing, I don't know, $10,000 a speech. Like, that's really big numbers. That's significant. He's doing really well. What happens at that point is there's people who court you. They come up to you and say, hey, Billy, you want to do business coaching? We'll pay you $5,000 a month. Hey, Billy, you should think about doing, you know, this podcast that we're going to sponsor for. We're going to pay you $100,000 a year to do this. And Alex always says these, you need to ignore them. What the best people in the world do 
is they ignore all the distractions, including the most lucrative ones. Mm. And Warren Buffett also says that. He says, my success is predicated on two key ideas. One is focus, and two is saying no to 99% of things. And But one thing I want to emphasize here to be in a category of one is you also need to be able to say no to really nice things. I think that's the, the part that most people don't talk about. Is they just go, you got to say no. But you're not saying no to icky stuff here. It's not like, hey, can you like clean my bathroom? Like That's not what you're saying no to. You're saying no to $100,000 speaking engagements. You're saying no to meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger in person. Maybe. I'm just making stuff that, up. I wouldn't do that, okay. Right? I wouldn't say oh, right. no to that. I would say yes to that. I mean, who, I mean, who would say no to that, right? <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Or you would say no to something in, in, so that you can reuse that time for something bigger. And that's really the key is once you focus on that one thing, you need to be willing to say no to the good mm. life, to the good stuff to the great so that you can actually become exceptional. You know how many people reach out to me for life coaching or business coaching? I have to say no to all these people. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I can use that money. But I say no because I need to focus. I just turned down a, what was it, 30 grand contract or something? Last two, a month ago, me and Vomsi turned something down because we were like, this is going to eat up our time. Yeah. Right? So we need to substitute great i still feel the pain from we need to substitute great for exceptional for world class and i hope all of you do that uh it's brilliant okay so so you you've inspired me to ask one closing question and that is i think there are probably some other pitfalls other mistakes other landmines that people should be aware of and avoid and you just mentioned one, which is losing focus by the shiny object or losing focus by the offer or the opportunity, which may seem great. It may be great, but will it detract from the bigger picture, from the one thing? And if it will, then you really got to ask yourself, is it worth it? Because you are only one person. You only have so many minutes you can offer the world your greatness. So what other mistakes stand out in your mind that people should be aware of if they want to be in a category of one, because clearly if they make that mistake, it, it could compromise or jeopardize their chances. Yeah. I would say the other piece that's important is people don't compare the right things. Like I think one of the challenges of picking what is your one thing is people don't know which one to pick, which is perfectly normal. Like how do you pick the one thing? It's a bit difficult. And the recommendation I have that most people are willing to do, and I hope they do it, is you need to be willing to compare people and have an honest conversation about whether or not you can stand your ground against them. I'll give you an example. Patrick but David calls this competing up. So the analogy Patrick gives in one of his videos is let's say you're the best basketball player at the YMCA, like the local gym that you're at. So obviously it's like, it feels good. You're the best basketball player in the YMCA. So you have two decisions to make. The first decision is you stay, right, the best basketball player at the YMCA, or you realize that, wait a second, you know, the people who are playing college basketball are actually much better than me. I should change gyms. But most people don't go with option two. They go with option one. So let's say we take the people who go with option two. They go to the college basketball game, and then they become the best college basketball person in that league. So then they have two decisions to make. Number one, is they stay the best college basketball player in the league and say, wow, I'm pretty good at this. I'm the best. Or B, do the harder thing, 
which is get drafted into the NBA, right? So most people, you know, I'll just take the scholarship. I don't need to get drafted to the NBA. I'm too good for the NBA. When in reality, they weren't able to measure up. They weren't realistic about what it actually took, what their actual skill level is, and then so on and so forth, right? Best in NBA, whatever. You get the analogy. But the point I want to drive is most of us need to have that honest conversation with ourselves and be willing to compare ourselves to the best people in the world and have a genuine conversation and say, okay, based on where they're at, based on the work that they did, now that I have a clear understanding, don't just say, oh, I can't do it. Say, okay, these are the steps that person took. This is what Tony did. This is what Gary V did. Am I willing to actually do that to get to that next level? And do I have the natural gift and talent combined with that work ethic and steps in place to get to that level. So I'll give you an example with me. Yeah, sure. I understand what it takes to be an NBA player. Do I want to be an NBA player? Of course not. Is it because I don't want to? No, because I can't, right? I just don't have the the skill. I don't have the innate ability, even if I worked every single day of my life to be one. But when it came to what I do now, it made sense. So it's important for us to compare the right things compare the right steps, the process, understand, ask how. Don't say, wow, always ask how. Understand the steps of their success. And through that, make make an honest decision with yourself so that you can move forward. Don't say, wow, always ask how. Awesome. Love it. Love it. If you haven't yet checked out Brendan on Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel, please go subscribe. Check it out. If you haven't subscribed to Inside Out, the podcast that this show will be airing and does air every Monday and Friday, go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you haven't yet given it a review, would love it if you could do that as well. Make sure you let us know what you think. And and we do appreciate it. We want to make sure that as many people as possible have the tools they need to be a world changer And every time we share, that's what we share for, to help you on your road to do something that will impact the rest of the world. Until next time, make it a great one. We'll talk to you all very, very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.